Ashley Brock reading Callikins by chapter 11 and the last chapter. Tess was enjoying her job. The owner gave her carte blanche to be creative and she used it. Despite the aching hurt that Cag had dealt her, she took pride in her craft. She did a good job, didn't watch the clock, and performed beautifully under pressure. By the end of the second week, they were already discussing giving her a raise. She liked her success, but she wondered if Cag had worried about her. He was protective toward her, whatever his other feelings, and she was sorry she made things difficult for him. She really should call that lawyer and find out about her stock so that she wouldn't have to depend on her job for all her necessities, and she could ask him to phone the brothers and tell them that she was okay. Never know where she was, because she wasn't going to tell him. She did telephone Clint Ma Matherson, the lawyer, who was relieved to hear from her, because he had indeed checked out those stocks her mother and lived. I don't know quite how to tell you this, he said. Your mother invested in a very dubious new company, which had poor management and little operating capital from the very start. The owner was apparently a friend of hers. To get to the point, the stock is worthless, absolutely worthless. The company had just recently gone into receivership. Tessa had a long breath and smiled wistfully. Well, it was nice while it lasted to think that she didn't did remember me. That I was independently wealthy, she told the Lord, but I didn't count on it. If you see what I mean, I have a job as a pastry chef in a restaurant, and I'm doing very well. If you uh, speak to the Hart brothers, speak to them, he explained. How'd I love to have the chance? Calligan Hart had me on the carpet for 30 minutes in my own office, and I never got one word out. He loved his phone number, reminded me that his brother was acting attorney general of our state, and left here certain that I'd call him if I had any news of you. Her eye left in her throat. Callaghan was looking for her. She wondered if he cared. She wondered if he cared enough. It could be her pride that she walked out on him. It could be a lot of things, none of which concerned missing her because he loved her. <laughs> Did you tell him about the stocks? Yes. As I said, Miss Brady, I never got the opportunity to speak. I see. She saw a lot, including the fact that the attorney didn't know she was married. Her spirits fell. If Kelligan had even mentioned it, it must not matter to him. Well, he can tell them that I'm okay, but I'm not telling you where I am, Mr. Matherson. So Calhoun can make a good guess. There are still papers to be signed again. Then I'll find a way to let you send them to me. Through someone else. She said, thinking up ways. It means of concealing her whereabouts. Thanks, Mr. Matherson. I'll get back to you. She hung up, securing her in anonymity. It was a big country. He'd never find her. Even as she was thinking of those comforting thoughts, Clint Matherson was reading her telephone number, which he received automatically on his caller ID box and copied down while they were speaking. He thought what a good thing it was that Miss Brady didn't know how to disable that function. If she ever suspected that he had it, he didn't smirk because intelligent, successful attorneys didn't do that. But he smiled. Callaghan hadn't smiled for weeks. Leon Ray rocked wide around him, too, because he looked ready to deck anybody who set him off. The brothers had asked just once if Cag knew why Tess had left so abruptly while leaving a note. They didn't dare ask again. Even Mrs. Lewis was nervous. She was standing in for Tess's part-time cook as well as doing the heavy housework, but she was in awe of Calhoun. Callaghan in his black mood. She wasn't sure which scared her more, Cag or his scaly pet. She told Leo when Cag was out working on the ranch. Always a hard worker, Cag had set new records for it since Tess's disappearance. He hired one private detective agency with another, with no results to date. A cab driver with one of Jacobsville's top cab companies had been found 
who remembered taking her to the airport, but if she'd flown out of town, she'd turned it under her assumed name and paid cash. It was, impo it was impossible to find a clerk who remembered selling her a ticket. <laughs> Jacobsville had been thoroughly searched, too, but she wasn't here or in nearby Victoria. Callaghan could hardly tell his brother the real reason that Tess had gone. His pride wouldn't let him, but he was bitterly sorry for the things he said to her, for the callous way he treated her. It had been a late last-ditch stand to keep from getting into the love and need that ate at him night and day. He wanted her more than he wanted his own life. He was willing to do anything to make amends, but Tess was gone and he couldn't find her. Some nights he thought he might go mad from the memories alone. She loved him and he could treat her in such a way. He didn't bear thinking about, so he'd been maneuvering and maneuvered into marriage. So what? He loved her. Did it matter why they were married? If they could make it work? But weeks passed with no word of her, and he had nightmares about the possibility. Could she have been kidnapped, murdered, raped, starving? Then he remembered her mother's legacy. She'd have that because surely she'd be in touch with the lawyer. He could have kicked himself for not thinking of it sooner, but he'd been too upset to think straight. Cag went to Matherson's office and made threats that would have taken the skin off a lesser man. She'd have to contact Matherson to get her inheritance. When she did, he'd have her. Sure enough, a few days after his visit there, the attorney phoned him. He, he'd just come in from the stock pens, dirty inside, and warning him. Heart, heart, he said courtly as he answered the phone in his office. Matherson came to her. Thought you might like to know that Miss Brady phoned me today. Cag stood up, breathless, stiff with relief. Yes. Where is she? Well, I have caller ID, so I got her number from the unit on my desk. But when I had the number checked out, it was a payphone. Where? In St. Louis, Missouri. And there's one other bit of helpful news. She's working as a pastry chef in a restaurant. I'll never forget you for this. Gag said with general gratitude. And if you ever in need of work, come see me. Good day, Mr. Matherson. Cag picked up the phone and called the last detective agency he hired. By the end of the day, they had the name of the restaurant and the addresses of Tess's apartment. Unwilling to wait for a flight out, Cag had a company Learjet pick him up at the Jacobsville Airport and fly him straight to St. Louis. It was the diner dinner hour by the time Cag checked into a hotel and changed into a nice suit. He had dinner at the restaurant where Tess worked and ordered biscuits. The waiter gave him an odd look, but Cag refused to be swayed by offers of delicate pastries. The waiter gave in, shrugged, and took the order. With apple butter, Cat added politely. He had experienced enough of good restaurants to know that money could buy breakfast at odd hours if a wealthy customer wanted it and was willing to pay for the extra trouble. The waiter relayed the order to Tess, who went pale and had to hold on to the counter for support. Describe the customer to me, she asked curtly. The waiter, surprised, obliged her, saw the pale face go quite red, quite red with temper. He found me, did he? And now he thinks I'm cooking breakfast at this hour of the night? The assistant manager, hearing Tess's raised voice, came quickly over to hush her. The customer at Table 6 wants biscuits and apple butter, the waiter said with resignation. Miss Brighty is on table. Table six, the assistant manager to your frown. Yes, I saw him. He's dressed very expensively. Yes, I saw him. He's dressed very expensively. If the man wants biscuits, bake him biscuits, he told us. If he's influential, he could bring in more business. Tess took off her chef's hat and put
put it on the counter. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to work here. But I have to leave now. I make biscuits for breakfast. I don't make them for supper. She turned and walked out the back door to the astonishment of the staff. The waiter was forced to relay the information to Kag, whose eyes twinkled. Well, in that case, I'll have to go and find her, he said, raising. Nobody makes biscuits like Tess. He left the man there gaping and went back to his hired car. With luck, he could beat Tess to her apartment. And he did. With only seconds to spare, she got off the downtown bus and walked up the steps to her second floor apartment. Cag was standing there, leaning against the door. He looked worn and very tired, but his eyes weren't hostile at all. They were strange. Studied her closely, not missing the new lines in her face and the thinner contours of her body. You aren't cut out for restaurant work, he said quietly. Well, I'm not doing it anymore, thanks to you. I just quit, she said belligerently, but her heart was racing maddenly at the sight of him. She missed him so badly that her eyes ached to look at him, but he heard her. The wound was still fresh in the sight of him, rubbed Sonin. Why are you here? She continued curtly. You said you had enough of me, didn't you? She added, referring to what he said that hurt most. He actually winced. I said a lot of stupid things, he replied slowly. I won't expect you to overlook them, and I'll apologize for every one if you'll give me a chance to. She seemed to droop. Oh, what's the point, Callaghan? She asked weirdly. I left. You got what you wanted all along. A house without me in it. Why don't you just go home? He sighed. He known it wouldn't be easy. He leaned his forehead against the wall. A momentary rested his head there while he tried to think of a single reason that would get Tess back on the ranch. Mrs. Lewis can't make biscuits, he said. He glanced at her. We're all starving to death on what passes for her cooking. The roses are dying. He had it playing every card he had. It's been so dry, she murmured. Blue eyes met his. Haven't you watered them? He made a rough sound. I don't know anything about roses. But they'll die, she said, sounding plainly. Two of them are old roses, antiques. They're precious and not because of the cost. Well, he don't, if you want to save them, you better come home. Not with you there, she said hotly. He smiled with pure self-condemnation. I was afraid you'd feel that way. <laughs> I don't want to come back. Too rich to bother with work that's beneath your station. Your new station, he asked sarcastically because he was losing and he couldn't bear to. She remembers, well, there isn't going to be any money, actually. She said, the stocks are worthless. My mother made a bad investment and lost a million dollars. She laughed, but it sounded all, I always have to work for my living, but then I always expected to. I never really thought she'd leave anything to me. She hated me. Maybe she hated herself for having to certain you. Did you think of that? He asked gently. She couldn't love you without having to face what she'd done and live with it. Some people would rather be alone than admit fault. <laughs> Maybe, she said. But what difference does it make now? She's dead. I'll never know what she felt. <laughs> Would you like to know what I feel? He asked in a different tone. She searches accurately. I already know I'm much too young for you. Besides, I'm a weakness that you can't tolerate. And I lie, she added shortly. You said so. He struck his hands deep into his pockets and stared at her with regret. Leah told me the wedding was all his idea. Of course. You'd believe your brother. You just wouldn't believe me. His chest rose up. Yes, that's how it was, he admitted, not bothering to lie about it. I made you run away, then I couldn't find you. His black eyes glittered. You'll never know how that felt. 
sure I know. She returned grimly. Felt just the same as when you walked out the door and ain't come back all night. You leaned against the wall wearily. You avoided the subject, walked around it, worried it to death. Now here it was. He lifted his gazer face. I wanted you too badly to come home. He said, I couldn't have kept my hands off you, so I spent the night in the bunkhouse. Gee, thanks for saving me, she muttered. He stood erect with one of those lightning moves that once had intimidated. I should have come home and ravaged you, he said shortly. At least you'd still be there now. You'd be too weak to walk when I got through with you. She caught her breath. Well, <laughs> he moved forward and took her by the shoulder. She shook her head. Listen, redhead. I love you. He set there his teeth and never had a man look less lover like. I want you. I need you. And you're going home with me. Or I'll. Her breath was suspended somewhere south of her collarbone. Or you'll wet. She had to use her back against the door and bent to her mouth. Oh, you'll get when you escaped when I left you that night. <laughs> so she lifted her mouth to his, relaxed under his weight as he pinned her there and kissed her so hungrily that she boned. She clung to him. The past weeks had been so empty, so lonely. Cag was here, in her arms, saying that he loved her. And it wasn't a dream. There were a few feverish seconds he forced himself to lift away from her. Let's go inside, he said in a tortured voice. She only nodded. She fumbled her key into the lock, and apparently he closed and locked it behind him. He didn't even turn on the light. Picked her up, purse and all, and carried her straight into the bedroom. Amazing how you found this room so easily when you've never been in here before, she whispered shakingly. She laid her on the bed and began to remove everything that was in the way of his hands. Nesting instinct, he whispered his hands. Is that what it is? She reached up, pushing out his jacket. First things first, he murmured, resting her hands. Resisting her hands. When he had her out of her clothes, he stayed on. He started on his own. Minutes later, he was beside her in the bed, but he did nothing about it except to pull her completely against him and wrap her up under the covers. Oh, dear God, he groaned repeatedly as he held her close. Tess, I was so afraid that I lost you. I couldn't have borne it. <laughs> she muttered into him, aware of the stark arousal of his body, but he wasn't doing anything about it. I don't like being alone, she replied, nuzzling her face against his warm bare chest. You won't be. Ever again, his hands moved over her back, one ease between them to lie gently against her stomach. How are you feeling? <laughs> he asked suddenly. She knew what he was asking. I don't think I'm pregnant. She answered the question he had put into words. I'm tired a lot, but that could be work stress. But it could be. She smiled against him. If this was a dream, she hoped she didn't wake up to it soon. I guess so, she said. Why? Nesting instinct, he chuckled. Yes, I'm 38. I'd love kids. So would you. You could grow them along with your precious roses. She said, my roses? Okay. He didn't take a breath was audible. That's the first time you've ever shortened my name. It didn't belong to me before, she said shyly. His arm died. And, I, and now I do. She hesitated. I hope so. I know so. And you belong to me. <laughs> he moved so that she was on her back. I've been rough with you. Even the first time tonight, it's going to be slow and silky sweet. That you won't know your name by the time I've satisfied you. You bent and touched his mouth with exquisite tenderness to her parted lips. How conceited, she teased daringly. He chuckled with a world worldliness. She couldn't imagine. And we'll see about that. <laughs>
It was unexpectedly tender this time, a feast of exquisite touches and rhythms that progressed far too slowly for the heat he roused in her slim young body. She arched toward him, and he retreated. He touched her, and just as she trembled on the brink of ecstasy, he stopped touching her and calmed her. Then he started again, on and on it went, so that time seemed to hang suspended around him. He taught her how to touch him, how to build the need, and then deny it. She moaned with frustration, and he chuckled with pure joy. When he heard her sob under the instant pressure of his mouth, he gave in to the hunger. But even then, he resisted her clinging hands, her whispered pleas. Make it last, he whispered at her open mouth, lazily moving against her. Make it last as long as you can when it happens. You understand why I won't let you be impatient. She was shuddering already, throbbing. She met the downward motion of his hips with upward movements of her own. Her body won long play for satisfaction. It's so good, she whispered, her words pulsing with the rhythm of his body. The same throb in her voice that was in her limbs. So good it gets better he breathed he moved sensuously against her new movement that was so arousing that she tried cried out and clung to him with bruising finger there he whispered yes there and here she was sobbing audibly her whole body arched it was expanding tense fearsome frightening she was never going to live through it she was blind deaf dumb so much part of him that she breathed only through him he felt her frantic motions heard the shuddering desire in her voice as she begged him not to stop he obliged her with smooth quick deep mo motions that were like stabs of pure pleasure she closed her eyes and her teeth ground together as the tension suddenly built to unbearable heights and she arched up to him with her last ounce of strength Yes, now, now, finally, now, he said tightly. There was no tie. She went over some intangible edge and fell, throbbing with pleasure, burning with it, so oblivious to her surroundings that she had no idea where she was. She felt the urge deep in her body, growing, swelling, exploding. At some level, she was aware of a harsh groan from the man above her, of the fierce convulsion of his body that married what was happening to hers. She lost consciousness, consciousness for a few precious seconds of unbearable pleasure, and then stopped fiercely as she lost it even as it began he held her comforted her his mouth touched her eyes her cheeks her open mouth her body was still locked closely into his and when she was able to open her eyes she saw his pupils dilate glittering with her remnants of passion do you know that i love do you know that i love you after that he whispered uncertainly would you like to hear it a few dozen more times she managed to shake her head I felt it, she whispered back, and blushed as she realized just how close they were. I love you too, but you knew that already? <laughs> yes, he replied tenderly, brushing back her damp curly hair. I knew it the first time you let me touch you. He smiled softly at her surprise. You were so very innocent, Tess, not at all the sort of girl who would permit liberties like that to just any man. It had to be love for you. <laughs> it wasn't for you, she said quietly. Not at first. Oh, yes, it was, he denied. His fingers lingered near. I started fighting you the day you walked into the kitchen. I wanted you so badly that I ached every time I looked at you. Smiled, I was so afraid that you realized it. <laughs> Why didn't you say so, she asked. His fingers correct. Because of the bad experience I had when I was younger with a younger woman who threw me over because she thought I was too old for her. His shoulders moved. You were even younger than she was at the time. His dark, his eyes were dark, concerned. I was in over my head almost at once, and I thought I'd never be enough for you. 
Are you nuts? She gets enough for me. You're too much for me. Most of the time, I can't match you, especially like this. I don't know what you think. You're learning fast. Team, he's looking down. They're joined bodies in the light from the nightlamp. And you love like a poem. He was. I love the way you fill my arms like this. You make me feel like the best lover in the world. You are. She says, I don't know. <laughs> he agreed. It's only because you don't have anyone to compare me with. It wouldn't matter, she said. Does your drink gently? I don't guess it would, he said, because it's like the first time every time I'm with you. I can't remember other women. She hit him. You better not. He love me. She broke closely desperately. Try to get away again. He about, you're my wife. You'll never get past the first fence. She traced the path on her shoulder and found, I just thought of something. Where are your brothers? Leo and Ray are in Denver. What are they doing in Denver? She asked. He's like, getting away from me. I've been sort of hard to get along with. <laughs> You don't say, and that's unusual. He pinched her lightly, making her I'll be a model courtesy start the minute we get home. I promise. Her arms go around and say, when are we going home? He chuckled and moved closer, sensual movements that began to have a noticeable results. Not right now. It was two days later when they got back to the heart ranch, and they still hadn't stopped smiling. Tessa decided not to pursue her horticultural education just yet, because she couldn't leave Cag when she'd only just really found him. That could wait. So she only, so she had only one last tiny worry about sleeping in the same room with an escaping Herman. Although she loved Cag more than enough to tolerate his pet in an, another bedroom, but when she opened the door to Cag's room, which she would now share, the big aquarium was gone. She turned to Cag with a worried expression, put his arm around her and drew her close, glad that his brothers and Mrs. Lewis hadn't arrived just yet. Listen, he said softly, remember that nesting instinct I told you I had? <laughs> she nodded. Well, even the nicest birds don't keep a snake in the nest where the babies are, he said as his whole face smiled tenderly as he said it. She got a breath. But you love him. I love you more, he said simply. I gave him to a friend of mine who coincidentally has a female albino python. Speaking from experience, I can tell you that deep down, any bachelor is far happier with a woman of a female of his own species than with any pet. No matter how cherished it is. She touched the cheek lovely. Thank you. <laughs> he shrugged and smiled down on her. I built the nest. He reminded her. Now it's your turn. Want me to feel it, huh? He grinned. He hugged him close and smiled against his broad chest. I'll do my very best. Her, her heart felt full of bursting. Cag, I'm so happy. <laughs> Some of my sweetheart. He bit kissed her gently. And now... There's just one more thing I need to make me the most content man on earth. She looked up at him ex expectantly with a wicked glimmer in her blue eyes. Is there? What is it? She asked suggestively. A pan of biscuits, he burst out. A great big pan of biscuits with apple butter. You fraud. You charlatan. Lure me back here because of your stomach instead of your cag. He was laughing like a devil as he picked her up and tossed her gently onto the bed. I never said I wouldn't sing for my supper. He murmured dryly and his hands went to his shirt buttons as he stood over. She felt breathless, joyful, absolutely gloriously left. 
in that case, he was you're gonna have two panfuls. By the time the brothers arrived that evening, Cag had already gone through a half a panful. However, he seemed more interested in the test than the food anyway, so the brothers finally got their filled biscuits after a long dry spell. What are the two of you going to do when I build Tess a house like Dory's got? Cag asked him. They looked horrified. Just horrified. Ray put down his half-eaten biscuit to stare at Leo. Doesn't that just beat all? Every time we find a good biscuit maker, somebody goes and marries her and takes her away. First Corrigan, now him. Well, they have good taste, you have to admit. Leo continued, besides, Tyr can't bake it all. And Simon married her. Simon isn't all that crazy about biscuits. <laughs> well, you do have a point there. Leo conceded. Ray stared at Tess, who was sitting blankly on her husband's lap, feeding him a biscuit. He sighed. He'd been alone a long time, too. I'm not marrying anybody. I'm not marrying anybody to get a biscuit, he said talkingly. Me neither. Leo agreed, stuffed another one into his mouth. Tell you what. He pointed his apple butter spoon at Ray. He can put up his house in the daytime, and we'll take it down at night. You can try, Cag said good-naturedly. With our luck, we'll never find wives, or when we do... Leah added dolefully, they won't be able to cook at all. This, this is a great time to find a veteran housekeeper who can make bread. Cag said it's someone who can take care of both of you when we move out. I can take care of myself, Ray muttered. So can I. Leah agreed. Be stubborn, Cag said. Both, you'll change your tone one a day. It's a pig's eye, they both said at once. Later, lying in Tess's soft arms, Cag remembered when he said the same thing his brothers just had. They'll fall like kingpins one day, he told Tess as he smoothed her hair. If they're lucky, she agreed. Looked down in her gentle eyes, and he asked, and he wasn't smiling. If they're, if they're very lucky, he was, was I worth all the trouble, Tess? She nodded. Was I? You were never any trouble, he kissed her tenderly. I'm sorry I gave you such a hard time. You're making up for it, she turned pulling him down her. I'd rather have you than that million dollars, Cag. She breathed into some I'd rather have you than the whole world. <laughs> if Cag had been so busy hadn't been so busy following his newly acquired nesting instincts, he could have told her the same thing, but he was certain that she knew it already. End of chapter eleven in the book. I know it's cute, right?